Right. I want you to notice the first verse there in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. So there's a warning that things are going to get worse. And did you know as the world gets more wicked, as things get more corrupt, it creates a need for sometimes some changes and for some things to become more clear. And during that early church, I think we would all agree that's probably when the church was at its best and its purest form, right? And think about it. Back then, they didn't have like a Bible that they could carry around like we do today. If they had scriptures, all they would have had was the Old Testament. And if they'd had the Old Testament, they wouldn't even been able to carry it around like this. It had been in great big scrolls. And it would have been hard. You know, you know everybody didn't have these things just sitting in their house. And so imagine how, you know, we look at that. We think, man, that would have been really tough. That would have been really difficult. Yet God was using the church greatly. But then we say that the apostles, they did. They started writing these scriptures. They became uh, scriptures. And uh, we see in verse 16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. So, and we believe that this we're reading right here is also Scripture that Paul wrote. But here's the question. How do we know that these 66 books that we have right now are all of the scripture. How do we know that there's not one slipped in there that maybe shouldn't have been slipped in there? I mean, are we really sure about the book of Esther? Are we really sure about the book of Revelation? You know, there's people in history that didn't think the book of Revelation should have been added to the Bible. But yet it's there. Who decided what books are in the Bible? You know, how, how do we know that banned from the Bible and that documentary isn't right. And that when they're telling us about all these books that they didn't want you to know about, how do we know? I mean, really, how do we know that these 66 books are it, that these are, in fact, all the word of God and that all the other books that are out there that some claim should be in the Bible shouldn't? How do we know we're not missing out on something? How do we know there's not one more book out there that, you know, the Catholic Church made sure we didn't get? And, you know, and that's why we still have confusion in a lot of areas because we're missing something. How do we know that this, this is the completed word of God. How do we also know that there might not be another book that comes along later? I mean, who's to say that we might not get another book? I was talking to a preacher one time that told me about a preacher that he knows that thinks it's very possible that, you know, God might give us another book before it's all said and done. I'm thinking, you know, and he thought that was crazy. And I agree. That's crazy. You know, that if that's the case, how do we know the Book of Mormon it wasn't another testament of Jesus Christ. We obviously don't believe that at all, but I think these are legitimate questions. He said in here the reason these things are all, all scriptures given by inspiration, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. How do we know that we have everything that we need? We see in Matthew 4 4, Jesus quoting from the Old Testament said, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. How do we know that this is every word? How do we really know that? You know, it, Revelation 22, 18 says, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, 
God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So does that prove that Revelation ends it right there? I mean, it does seem to kind of make sense that God would end the Bible with a very severe warning like that. And I'm going to tell you right now, I will not ever accept another book as scripture unless Jesus Christ himself gives it to us at the millennium. Until Jesus Christ comes back, I'm not accepting another book. I'm not accepting another testament of Jesus Christ until unless Jesus Christ himself decides to give us something when he's here. Whatever he gives us during that time, I'm going along with it. I'm going for it. But until then, this is all we plan on ever using. This right here, this is scripture. We see in Psalms 12:6, the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So we know God promised that he was going to preserve his words. So the thing is, are we sure that this is it? I remember when I was a teenager, I was in a bookstore, and I was looking in the Christian section, and there was a a book there that I bought, and it was called Lost Books of the Bible. And as a teenager, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I'm looking at all these other books in there, and I'm thinking, man, these are more stories about these Bible characters that we don't know about. And I got really excited as a teenager. I remember I just bought it, and then I remember I started reading it, and I'm just like, this is bad. <laughs> this is really stupid. And I ended up throwing that. I got convicted real quick, and I threw that book away. And I remember that even when I was younger, it got me thinking about a lot of these things. You know, the Lord settled my heart uh, real soon that this was, in fact, all the scriptures. But, you know, there are legitimate questions out there. You know, how do we know a book's not missing? You know, what if a book has been added? You know, how do we know that the religious world isn't trying to hold something back on us? You know, what about the Apocrypha? What, you know, what about that? People like to bring that up all the time. All you King James only people, you know, you don't even believe the King James Bible because the King James translators, they put the Apocrypha in there and you reject the Apocrypha. Well, what about the Apocrypha? You know, why, why did the translators put that in there? You know, is that in fact scripture? Why do we reject that as scripture? You know, are we sure about the book of Esther that, you know, never mentions the name of God in there? You know, there, how do we know that revelation should in fact be in the Bible? You know, who decided what books made it in the Bible. And so while we're not, we don't have time to do this, this is going to be a two-parter. I'm going to, I got a lot of information I want to cover. We're going to uh, continue this tonight and we don't have time to go through why each of the 66 books are legitimate. What I do want to give, what I do want to preach in these two messages though, on basically why I believe that these 66 books are correct, because I believe that God has given us three very reliable witnesses that testify to the fact that these 66 books are, in fact, the Word of God. In fact, I also believe we could take these same three witnesses and these same three principles, too, to show that our King James Bible is, in fact, the perfectly preserved Word of God. And a lot of people don't like that, but I'm sorry. Um, who am I going to listen to? Some egghead wannabe that doesn't know Greek or Hebrew? Or these three witnesses that I'm talking about? Okay, these three, I believe there's three very uh, important witnesses, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because in the Bible, we see this principle throughout the scriptures of the importance of two or three witnesses. Whenever it was something that was really big, whenever it was something that was really important, 
The Bible made it clear there should always be two or three witnesses. And it makes sense that for something that, I mean, we, we bet our souls on what this Bible says, don't we? Something as important as the Word of God, it would make sense that God, who established this principle of two or three witnesses throughout the Scriptures, would give us those three witnesses. And I believe he has given us three witnesses. But let's look at this principle, uh, several passages on this. We see in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, says that the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death but at the mouth of one witness shall he not be put to death so something like the death penalty that's pretty serious isn't it you don't just put somebody to death over what one person said you know what you got to have two or three witnesses for that that was what was taught in the law in chapter 19 verse 15 one witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin in any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If, if we just did one witness, I could just go and pick somebody I don't like and say, they murdered somebody and they hid the body and its body's gone. We'll never find it. And then, oh, that's proof. Somebody said he did it. Let's go put him to death. No, we can't do that. That would be wrong. You got to have something verifying it. We see in Matthew 18, verse 16, whenever there's disputes between people, it says, but if you will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. We see in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every shall every word be established. We want to make sure we're getting some things right. And so we're going to have multiple witnesses. First Timothy 5.19, and against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Hebrews 10.28, he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. So there is nothing that is more important than this issue of the word of God. And so it makes sense that God would give us three very reliable witnesses. So, uh, in fact, turn over to First uh, John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. God actually gave us three witnesses to testify and that Jesus was the Christ. That's pretty important too, isn't it? I mean, Jesus Christ is the one that we're supposed to put our faith and trust in in order to be saved. First John is written so that we may know that we have eternal life. Do we really want to just go off of one person and off of one witness when it comes to Jesus Christ? No, we've even got three witnesses there. It says... This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the spirit that beareth witness because the spirit is truth. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not, God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. So when it comes to Jesus Christ, We've got the Holy Spirit that bears record witness of him. We've got the Word of God that bears witness. God himself did. God bear, bore witness of Jesus Christ by giving the ability to do all those miracles and things he did. So when you've got all of these things agreeing, when you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, when you've got the Word of God, when they're all agreeing together, you know what? We can look at that and say, this is in fact true. There's no doubt about it. 
Jesus is the Christ. There's no reason we can doubt that. In fact, to say that Jesus is not the Christ, the Bible says, you're a liar. And, and this isn't just blind faith. When you've got all these witnesses agreeing, that says something. That tells us something very important. And so if we've got three very reliable witnesses all agreeing that what we have here is in fact the word of God, then, you know, I don't think we're just taking this on blind faith. I think this is something we can look at and say, there's no reason for us to doubt this Bible. There's no reason for us to doubt that we have the completed word of God. And so the first of these witnesses that tells us that this is, in fact, the Word of God. These 66 books are, in fact, the completed Word of God. Now, hear me out on this first one, because remember, it's not just one witness. There's three witnesses. you got to have all three of these. Okay, and I already know what your, some of your objections are going to be as I'm going through this point. All right, just hang on to your hat. Don't tune me out. Okay, I'm going to get to your objections. Okay, so just chill out and, and hear me out on this. Okay, the first witness that this is, in fact, the Word of God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit tells us that this is the Word of God, that everything I read in here is the Word of God. It was the Holy Spirit that told me as a teenager that what I was reading in those lost books of the Bible was not, in fact, the Word of God. It was the Holy Spirit that told me that. I have read, uh, I've read all of the Apocrypha that is in the King James. I've read a lot of the other so-called Apocryphal books and banned books. From my, I, I've read it for entertainment purposes. And you know what the Holy Spirit tells me? The Holy Spirit has told me these things are not the Word of God. They don't pack the same punch. They don't have the same power. They don't have the same spirit. I'm telling you, it's just not there. The Holy Spirit tells me. The Holy Spirit has told me that this is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has told me that those other things are not the Word of God. And it makes sense because John 6.63 says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words of God, they're spirit. There's something special about the words of God. There's something that, that is unique about them that is unlike any other words. There is something unique about the Bible that sets it apart from all other books in all of the world. And you know what the difference is? One has the spirit on it. This has the spirit of God all over it. These words are spiritual they don't just minister to our brain and our intellect. You know, they also minister to our spirit. And that's what separates this book from all other books. We see in 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This Bible, the God's Word, it contains messages in there that an unsaved person cannot receive. There's things in this Bible that an unsaved person is not capable of understanding, yet you and I, we understand them just fine. You know why? Because the spiritual man, he judgeth all things. We're able, we're able to tell because we have that same spirit that's in us and it helps reveal these truths to us. You know what? You can't do that with any other book. You go take, I mean, any other famous, you know, work of literature, Shakespeare or whatever, and, you know, any of us can figure that out. You know, any there, there's really, there's not that much depth and substance to these things. They're just, they're just stories. 
They're just books. They're things that appeal to the intellect. Maybe they appeal to the emotions. But when it comes to the Word of God, there's something different about it that ministers to our spirit. And if a person is spiritually dead, they're not going to get that. There's a lot of things they're just not going to get. You know, we often get ourselves in trouble and we get frustrated because we're always beating ourselves, you know, beating our head against the wall a lot of times, trying to get spiritual truths across to many times lost people. And you know, it's just not going to happen. Did you know we're just never going to be able to make the lost people just think we are hip and cool and, you know, just like them and just be and be liked by them. By us following things that are spiritual, they don't get that. They're not going to understand that. They don't get coming to a church like this. They don't get going out soul winning the way we do. They don't get separating themselves from different sins and, uh, and things that their flesh enjoys. They don't get that. But we do. And we do it anyway. And we do, we do it because we're trying to follow the Spirit. And we know if we do that, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we, and, and the world's just never going to understand that. Some of your family is never going to understand you until they get saved. That's, just, that's all there is to it. And that is one thing that separates this book from every, every other book. We see in Matthew 11 and verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Isn't it interesting how the things of the Bible, the things that are spiritual, God didn't reveal them to the wise and prudent. God didn't, it's, it's amazing how, you know, people, they often, they gravitate towards the egghead types. You know, they'll look to the James Whites and people like them because he seems so smart. You know, this guy's got so much knowledge, but yet he can't seem to understand some pretty simple basic truths. You know, when you see a guy like him that's all wrapped up in Calvinism and is just, all he's doing is just throwing, you know, doubt on the word of God. And you and I, as babes, we look at that, we say, what's wrong with that guy? But you know what? God hasn't revealed these things to the wise and prudent. He's revealed them unto babes. Those of us who are just of faith. We don't have all the answers to everything, but we just happen to believe God. And you know what? We look at this Bible. We look at what God's word said. And with great confidence, we just believe it to the point where it just says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And we just, we're just foolish enough to think that, you know what? If I just believe Jesus died and paid for my sins and will just ask him to forgive me, he'll save me and I'll go to heaven. But the wise and prudent says, well, you know, yeah, you got to, of course, acknowledge those things, but you also got to start living a better life too. Well, you better repent of your sins. You better persevere to the end. You better do all these other things too. That's what the wise and prudent says. But the babes, you know, they look at that and we, we just eat it up. We receive it. You know, the common man. They would receive these things that Jesus preached gladly while the smart people, while the Pharisees and the scribes, they would reject it and they'd get angry about it. But you know what? It's God that reveals his word to us through his spirit. And so that's why, that's one of the reasons that we know a saved person can just tell when they're reading the word of God. We can, we, you can tell. I don't know how else to explain it. We can just tell by the Holy Spirit. We see in John 10, 4, it says, And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, 
and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things uh, that they, they were, which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. So notice how Jesus said, the sheep, they know the voice of the shepherd. And you know what? We do too. We know when we're reading the word of God, and we know when we're not reading the word of God. And the truth is, if you know God, if you, the more you know God and the more you know God's word, the more you can spot a counterfeit. In fact, some of you, hopefully, you know, we're going to find out after church today how well we know our spouses. But some of you, you know, hopefully if somebody like stole your wife's phone and started texting you, chances are you'd figure it out pretty soon, wouldn't you? Because even though you're not hearing the words, you're only seeing the written words, you would know, wait a minute, this isn't how my wife talks. This isn't the way she writes. This isn't the way she speaks. You would figure it out pretty quick, wouldn't you? In fact, if you didn't, your wife would get angry. You really thought I said that to you? Does that sound like me? And I think that's how God gets with us sometimes when we're going to like the Apocrypha and some of these other books and say, I think these are the words of God too. You know, God in heaven's got to be like, what is wrong with you? I've, I've given you all this writing. Have you not read it? And you don't see the difference between what I inspired, what I have preserved, what I've given, and that trash? You're really going to go to the book of Nicodemus? You're going to go to the, you're, you're really going to think the book of Enoch is mine? Are you, are you crazy? That's an insult. To God, just like you would be insult, it would be an insult to your wife, especially if it was like a handwritten letter or something too. And some other woman wrote a handwritten letter to you and signed it as your wife, and then you fell for it. That's not, you know, like, that's not even my handwriting. How could you not tell? And let me tell you, God's handwriting or God's spirit is all over these words. And if we know God at all, if we have any kind of relationship with Him, if we're familiar with His word at all, we're going to spot the counterfeits. And so I'm here today to tell you that the Holy Spirit is telling me that what we have right here is the Word of God. Everything I read in my King James Bible is the Word of God. And everything I read and these other extra biblical books, as people try to call them, are not the Word of God. In fact, and let me just throw this out there too, this isn't a message about the King James Bible, but the Spirit tells me something when I'm reading these other versions of the Bible too. There's this, I'm telling you, it bothers me. And, so, and I, I never just read other versions just to read them. I often do it just comparing, you know, so I can pick it apart, talking about how bad it is and stuff. But, I mean, when I do, when I, or just when I'm listening to somebody else, if I'm listening to another preacher that's not a King James guy and he just starts quoting these so-called scriptures, I'm thinking, dude, you realize how bad you just butchered that passage. And I'm telling you, it just, it doesn't do the same thing. It just doesn't. And I'm telling you, that's one one of the biggest reasons that I'm King James only guy is because of what the Holy Spirit tells me about this Bible right here and what it tells me about those other versions. It's it's given me some nasty feelings towards them. I don't think this is me. I think it's the Holy Spirit. Now you can say whatever you want, but I, I'm I'm convinced it's the Holy Spirit that tells me that. So God has put something in us that helps us know whether or not it's his word. I think it's just part of being born again. It, I think it's interesting too, and I'm sure you know you could probably give some scientific reason for it, but 
Isn't it interesting, too, how even a newborn babe seems to recognize its mother's voice? Oh, well, that's because, you know, you know, they were able to hear the baby all those nine months she was carrying. There might be something to that. There, I'm sure there might be something to it, but it's just amazing how it's like they do. They, they seem like they just know. And it, even my voice, you know, it seemed like they did, you know, like they'll recognize it and they respond. A newborn baby will respond to that voice of the mom and dad, those voices that they recognize more than they do the voice of a stranger. Somebody they don't really know. And I think that's something that God put in us too. God has put something in us and we do. We just naturally gravitate towards his word and we are naturally turned away to those things that are not his word. And so I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is telling me that this is the word of God. So the unsaved is always going to scoff at this. And as long as they don't have the Holy Spirit, they will never agree with us. It, we'll, we'll never get the eggheads and the, all these so-called scholars and stuff to agree with us. But you know what? It's not for them to understand. Only spiritual words can work like that. In Luke 9:43 says, and they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. But while they wondered everyone at all things, which Jesus did, he said unto the disciples, let these sayings sink down in your ears for the son of man shall be delivered in the hands of men. But they understood not the saying and listen, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. In Luke 18, verse 31, Then he took unto them, him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man should be accomplished, for he that, uh, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now, why is that? How can God just flat out tell people facts and they not get it? You know why? Because these are more than just facts that God is giving. They are spiritual messages. These are spiritual words and they were hid from them. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit revealed it to them that they were able to understand it. And so we've got to understand this fact that it is, it's the Holy Spirit that gives us understanding of certain things and lost people are just never going to get it until they get saved. So we're not going to be able to find a way to come up with some kind of doctrine and truth about this where we're going to line up with all the scholars and eggheads and things out there. If they're not saved, we're not going to agree with them. We see in 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus is Lord, and ourselves servants for your sake. These things have been hidden from them. Colossians 1.25, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The things that were that we believe today as New Testament Christians, did you know those things about salvation, about Jesus Christ, about his death, burial, and resurrection? Did you know those things were all in the Old Testament, but they didn't understand it, did they? You know why? Because it hadn't been revealed yet. Now, you and I, we can go back and look at the Old Testament. We see the death, burial, and resurrection. We see Jesus Christ all over the Old Testament. 
How come we can see it and they couldn't back then? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit hadn't revealed it to them yet. But it has been revealed to us, and so we get it. And so I'm going to tell you, I can tell you right now, as somebody who's read the Apocrypha, they don't have the same author. They don't have the same author. So if you really know someone, especially if you know their writings, you will spot the forgeries, and many of these so-called extra-biblical books are, in fact, forgeries. We see in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Notice how Paul said not to be troubled by letter as though it were from us. Did you know, did you know people were writing forgeries of the Bible even back in Paul's day? They were writing things under the name of Paul and it wasn't Paul that wrote it. So you know what that tells me? If one of these days they're doing some excavation over in Israel and some Jew finds another letter of the Apostle Paul teaching something that's contrary to what the epistles of Paul say, you know what I'm going to do? I just say that just proves the Bible. That just proves they, they were in fact writing forgeries in Paul's name and we're going to reject that. And did you know a lot of these books too, if you go watch that stupid documentary, Banned from the Bible, and you look up many of these books, like the Gospel of Thomas, and, and you actually look at the history of these books, many of these books, they came out um, hundreds of years after these guys were dead. These were books that were written, some of them in the second century, after these guys were long gone. Well, obviously that would be authoritative, because the person that it's supposedly his words was dead when it was written. But they put his name on it. They'll put a name like Thomas on there because of the fact that, well, we all know that name. And so all of a sudden, it kind of gives it some legitimacy in people's mind. But people just completely reject the fact that, well, it was written after he was dead. And even if it was from that time, they did, in fact, have forgeries back then. And here's something you've got to understand, too. And, and you know, when we start talking about history, history is not inspired, okay? You can find whatever you want for history. Somebody might be able to find history to debunk the history I'm giving you. But from what I understand about when the canon was put together, the the collection of 66 books that we have today, most of that didn't really start happening until the 3rd century. Now, people try to tell you it was the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. Okay, It had already been basically established. That's just they all came together trying to form this one world religion, trying to make everything ecumenical, trying to bring everybody together. And they accepted the 66 books then because that's pretty much what everybody had already accepted. And so they just kind of went along. It had already kind of been done in the third century, but here's why they didn't have it immediately in the first century. It's the same reason that there wasn't a hardcore King James only position until, you know, 40 or 50 years ago. You know why? Because as things get bad and corrupt, the need for certain things becomes apparent. So, for example, one of the reasons, you know, the King James issue wasn't that big of an issue is just because for, for, you know, until all these new versions started coming out, pretty much everybody was using the King James Bible. When all these other versions started coming out and things started waxing worse and worse and becoming more and more corrupt, all of a sudden people looked and said, you know what? We need to get this thing nailed down. We need to figure this thing out. And they kind of took a hard line position. So the thing is, the same thing had kind of happened in that early church 
They were just all following the teachings of the apostles. The churches just followed the teachings of the apostles. Well, after all the apostles died, false doctrines started creeping into churches. Phony letters started coming up. Other people saying, hey, this is something that Paul taught us. But the problem is these things contradicted what was in, you know, letters that they knew were in fact authentic. And so because all these fake books started popping up in those early centuries, the churches got together like, you know what? We need to establish what in fact is scripture and what isn't. Because they didn't really need to do that before when the apostles were around. They could have confirmed it with them. And even for a while after they were all dead, it was pretty much just everybody knew what churches were supposed to do. Everybody knew what doctrines were supposed to be. But as things got worse and worse, like we read about in 2 Timothy 3, all of a sudden they figure out we need to get this thing established. We need to get it nailed down. And so that's why it wasn't until about the third century when a lot of this stuff really started getting settled. It was because of all the bad doctrine that had crept in. It was because of all the forgeries, and then they saw the need for it. It was the same thing with the King James issue. It was when all the fake versions started coming out, when all of a sudden people started realizing, why is all this heresy getting into the church? People got to look, and they're like, you know what? It's because people have been messing with the text. And we better get this thing settled and figured out. And you know what? The churches of God did. The real churches did. Those who had good doctrine, they did get it figured out. And they are, you know, the churches that are still solid doctrinally are typically King James only churches. I don't think, I don't think that's a surprise. And I think if we'd have went back then, churches that were teaching all the weird stuff were be ones that were rejecting some of these 66 books or adding to these 66 books. In fact, that's what we see too. Because yes, historically, you can always find a group out there that accepted the Apocrypha or accepted these other books. But you know what you also find in all those groups? Weird doctrine, bad teaching. Yes, the Catholics accept the Apocrypha. That should tell us something right there. Catholics also have a lot of problems. The real churches, they always seem to know what the scriptures were. And we'll talk more about them. We'll talk more about that tonight. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But these things were forgeries. So here's the objection, all right? This is, I, I know some of you have been thinking this, all right? Because I've been talking about how the Spirit in me says these things are the Word of God. So what if the Spirit in you tells you the book of Jasher should be in the Bible? What if the Spirit in you is telling you that, you know, the Apocrypha is okay? You know, you're like, I, I see God all over the book of Maccabees. You know, I, I see God all over that. You know, and you know, so, you know, and who am I to tell you that the, the Holy Spirit in you is not the spirit that the way to judge whether your spirit is right is if it lines up with my spirit. You know, is, is that the way this works? Well, here's the great thing. This is why we have more than one witness, because if it was just the Holy Spirit, all of us could say, well, the Spirit's telling me something else. And so that's why. We've got other witnesses that it lines up with. And so I am telling you what the Spirit is telling me. I can't tell you for sure what the Spirit's telling you. I can only, and, and you can't either. So we've got to have another witness. And that brings us to our second witness, and we'll just talk about this shortly and we'll continue on on this tonight. But the second witness is the Word of God itself. Okay, The Word of God itself. Look what it says in John chapter 5 in verse 30. 
says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. This is Jesus talking here. I mean, surely that one witness right there should be enough, right? But this is pretty serious. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. But Jesus is saying, listen, if it's just my witness, you know why? Because he's the one that establishes two or three witness thing. And so verse 32 says, there is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which a father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the father has sent me. And the father himself which has sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might not, that ye might have life. Now that verse right there, search the scriptures. I have heard that verse my whole life get used to basically make everybody question their salvation. All right, it's revival time. We need somebody getting saved. We don't have any visitors, so we're going to have to have some church members get saved. Otherwise, the evangelist that we just had come in is not going to tweet about our church and tweet about and, and write about us in his prayer letter. So we got to get some salvations while the evangelist is here. And so, you know, search the scriptures for them. You think you have eternal life. You know, you, you better get in that Bible and make sure you really are saved. Is that what, was that what Jesus was saying right there? Is, is that all that that's about? Is that something we're supposed to use I mean, shouldn't we have this salvation thing nailed down, those of us in here? We ought, we ought to have this stuff nailed down right now. What was he saying right here? You had a people that are rejecting Christ who claim to be believers of the Old Testament, who claim to be following the Word of God. That was They thought, as they're arguing with Jesus and they're bringing things up, they're always questioning things about Him, these people thought that they were following the Bible, they thought that they were following the Scriptures. But Jesus has been explained to them, that, listen, if I'm just bearing witness of myself, my witness isn't true. He said, but I, he was bearing witness of himself. John bore witness of him, but he said, you know, I receive not just the, the witness of man, but the, wisdom of, uh, the witness of God, which is greater. God testified of Jesus Christ when God gave him the power to do all those miracles he did. That was God the Father testifying of Jesus Christ. I mean, God himself even testified of Jesus at his baptism, when he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. But not only that, not only was Jesus testifying of himself, not only was the father testifying of him, but also the scriptures testified of him. So when Jesus is telling them to search the scriptures, he's, he says, for in them you think you have eternal life. And he said, and they are they which testify of me. You know what he was telling them? He said, the scriptures are testify of me. You know what he was saying? Everything I'm telling you lines up with the Bible. Everything I'm telling you lines up with the Old Testament. The fact that everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said, the fact that it all lined up with the Old Testament was proof that he was telling the truth because we had multiple witnesses 
all agreeing together. When Jesus went, when they had his mock trial, they did have to have a mock trial and basically just unlawfully kill him. You know why? Because their witness, none of the witnesses agreed. They were getting their multiple witnesses together, but they couldn't get any two witnesses to agree. You know why? Because they were lying. And that's how we can know things are false when, when things don't agree. And so here's the thing. The Word of God, it just happens to line up with the Spirit. My spirit the, the Spirit that's in me says nothing that contradicts the Word of God. And you know what else? There's nothing in the Word of God that contradicts anything else. There, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that contradicts anything in Genesis. There's nothing in any of these 66 books that contradict each other. They're all bearing witness of the same thing, yet in many of these apocryphal books, you can find all kinds of problems. And, you know, and let's just take the book of Enoch, for example, okay? Some people would say, oh, the book of Enoch lines up perfectly with the Bible. Okay, well, even if you thought that the stories in there lined up with the Bible, the very fact that when you go through the genealogies in there, the years are all different. That at least tells us that that copy that you're reading in the book of Enoch is not preserved. It does not have preservation on it. If it does not have preservation on it, then it's not the Word of God. Even Because some people will say, well, it doesn't contradict the Word of God, therefore it's okay. Well, if, no, there is. There's contradictions in there. Well, you know, even if you, know, you're, you believe some of the teachings that are in there, the fact that there are clear differences proves that is not, in fact, the Word of God. And so the thing that's amazing about our King James Bible, it never contradicts itself. It never contradicts itself. And so that right there is a witness that this is the Word of God. If another book comes along, that's the thing too about these banned books of the Bible. You know what they all love to talk about in these other books that they're finding is all the things that are different than what we get from our Bible. Well, isn't this great? More diversity. We don't want diversity. We want unity. We, you know, these things are supposed to agree together. You know, the book of Judas that they found recently, I guess. That's like this thing that basically makes Judas out to be the hero. Well, I'm sorry. Judas being the hero doesn't really line up with the Judas we read about in here where he's a son of perdition. Because what they teach in that book is that, no, because he's actually a hero because for prophecy to be fulfilled, someone had to betray Jesus. So this was a good thing. And that's why when Jesus said, what thou must do, do quickly, you know, he's telling, all right, Judas, you know, go do your thing, you know, because for more for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, we've got to have the bad guy. And so, you know, thank God for Judas, the bad guy, because if he hadn't been the bad guy, then prophecy wouldn't have been fulfilled and everything would have fell apart. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And yet that's what these people teach. And anything that comes along, I mean, they were talking, there was one story they were saying it should have been in the Bible. That, uh, that was, you know, after a lot of the events we read about in the Bible, there's a lot of persecution. I forgot the name of it. And it, it's like a major feminist book. And, there, and it's about some woman who is about to get martyred and they were going to feed her the lions or something. And, you know, nobody would baptize her because she was a woman or something. So there was like this thing of water out there. And before she got killed, she went and she baptized herself. And it's just like this big feministy thing. And feminists love it. I'm just like, you realize how much you said about that that just goes against everything that's in our Bible, and yet you think that should be included in the Word of God? You really think, because listen, God doesn't contradict himself. Over and over again, we're seeing all these things that are in agreement. These three are one. These three agree in one. And the fact 
that the Bible always agrees with itself, that proves that it's a reliable witness. And you know what? You can't do that. You can't say that if you got an NIV, that it always agrees with itself. You can't do that. And so I'm here today to tell you that I believe that we've got all 66 books right here because the spirit that is in me tells me this is it. Those other books are not it. And I believe that we do based on what I'm reading in here. Man can't put together something like this. I get it. Man wrote it. Man put it together. But let me tell you, there was definitely some divine intervention going on. It's a miracle of God that we still have the Word of God today. And so tonight we'll talk more about this and we'll talk, we'll show more evidence about how the Word of God itself testifies to this fact. And then we will look at the third very reliable witness that we have. And I thank God for that. The works that Jesus did, you know, that was God testifying. And the Word of God, the Bible testifies of itself, and it does. What this Bible says, it just, and this, what this King James Bible says, not just what any Bible says, it just lines up perfectly, and I just, I see great harmony between that, this book, and the spirit that's in me. I'm not like these trendies out that are just constantly conflicted and just, you know, when they're reading and just can't seem to just figure anything out, and they're going through all this turmoil. You know why they're like that? Because they got a lot of competing spirits going on. There's a lot of conflict there. But when you get the real word and when you've got the real Holy Spirit, these things are going to line up perfectly. And we're, and we're, you know, we're going to have a big problem with things that go against it because we do. We like harmony. We like unity. And that's why we're never going to join up and fellowship with those who reject the word of God. We're, we're not going to do that. We can't, we're just, we're not going to be able to fellowship with you. If you got a problem with this book, I'm sorry, I might like you as a person. I might do nice things for you if I see you in public. I might even love you as an enemy because my King James Bible tells me to. But when it comes to a certain level of fellowship, we're just never going to be there because we got a lot of unity going on here between what this Bible says and what the spirit that's within us is and what the third witness we'll talk about tonight. And we're not adding in another group and another witness saying some completely different thing that does not go along with where we are in agreement. Otherwise, we only have confusion, and God is not the author of confusion. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this amazing book that you've given us, Lord. Help us to take advantage of it, Lord. We, we are truly blessed to live in a day where Bibles are easy to get, and I pray we'll take advantage of that, Lord, and we'll study it, and uh, we'll carry it with us, and we'll uh, share with as many people as we can, and I just pray you'll uh, bless the message tonight as we try to conclude uh, this subject, and I, I pray it will help people know that uh, they can have confidence that what's sitting in their laps today is in fact your word, and it's complete, and they can trust everything that it says, and in your name we pray, amen.